What is going on, Trash Talkers? We are back with another episode for you. Today, we're going to break down The Last Dance. So, as many of you know, ESPN has been going through uh, the story of the final season of the Bulls and the culmination of what everything led up to that. Uh, it actually finished this Sunday. We were able to sit down and watch all 10 episodes. Uh, if you haven't, I highly check. I highly suggest going to check it out. We are going to have some spoilers in here. I definitely suggest that you don't listen if you haven't seen it yet. Um, so I would definitely do that, then come back and listen to this podcast because we're going to break down everything that we thought was very interesting and uh everything we learned from from the show so we're going to get started and uh nick i'm just going to start it off with you um what overall what'd you think of the last dance i thought it was uh really well done i uh, i really liked how they were able to uh take into account everything uh you weren't just getting a glimpse into the last season that everybody was together them going for their their final championship run but you were getting an idea of how everything was put together where everybody's background was how how this was all put you know was made possible and 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 you really got to know each and every one of them um in depth which really helped build the story and really tell uh, how triumphant this team really was uh, in their pursuit of their sixth championship. Uh, it, it really, it really was uh, really well done. Uh, I, I really, uh, uh, I'm glad that they were able to get that behind the scenes look in in the '97 '98 season because uh, that that really added something to this. Um, but you know, great job, and I, I hope they continue doing more of these. Uh, you know, with all the other greats that have been in the league. For sure, for sure. Um, I think The Last Dance was a, it was a phenomenal job done by ESPN and every uh, director and producer that was part of this, they did an incredible job. Um, I know we have some differing opinions um, that we'll get into, but the ability for them to uh, create a story, uh, you know, show exactly what was happening and then go back in time and provide some context, I thought was a really key and crucial element to this entire storytelling process. I love the fact that they were willing to, um, they were willing to show the good, the bad and the ugly. And, um, you know, it wasn't there to salvage anyone's reputation. It wasn't there to ruin anyone. It was simply, this is the story of one of the greatest, uh, NBA runs that we have ever witnessed and may ever witness in our lifetime. Um, it was it was truly incredible. I'm so happy that that this came out, especially uh, during this time of COVID when everybody's around just to kind of watch it and has nothing else going on. This really provided a, a good amount of sports in our life, and um, it was uh, it's always nice to see Michael Jordan and see his raw reactions to a lot of the things that. Uh, he saw, didn't know about until they interviewed him, um, and we'll get into a lot more of that as as we go. But uh, overall, just an incredible job, and I'm I'm really satisfied with how they did everything. Absolutely, yeah. You know, uh, though I think the one knock I, I really had, and you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier. Uh, I I really wish they had. Been, it was a little bit more smooth in their transitions. 
from going back and forth between the 78, uh, I'm sorry, the 97, 98 season to previous seasons in the 80s and earlier, early 90s. Um, I wish they had kind of worked their way through the timeline instead of going back, uh, back in time. I thought that would have been a little bit more smooth and, um, it would it would have made it easier to follow because at some points you're seeing guys like Steve Kerr and Dennis Rodman, and then you're like, oh, they've been with the team for and you, they've been with the team for many years, but in fact they've only been with them for a year or two, and it's, it, it kind of uh, makes you uh, put things in the wrong uh, perspective. You're, you're not remembering, or you're you're not uh, getting the right idea of how everything went down. So. I wish they were a little bit more clear about that, but it's it's just a small knock I have against it. it See, and the, I liked that idea. Like I said, I think it provided context because, um, and, you know, we, we don't have to debate this extensively, but, I mean, the idea is that it was the last dance, right? They're telling the story of the 97-98 Bulls, and any time they wanted to make a point, they had to go back in time to provide context for people who weren't there, who for people who didn't know what was going on at the time. Um, people who, like us, who were, you know, little kids, you know, we, we didn't know what the hell was going on. We like basketball though. Um, so it's real. I thought it was, um, very important to have it done that way because you, they stuck to the idea of this is the story of the last dance and these back in time scenarios are going to provide context for what we're trying to talk about. Not necessarily, you know, we're not necessarily talking about the entire Bulls run, even though that will be covered. It's really just the story of the, of that final season. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. um, so we have a couple questions and scenarios that we, we have culminated from, from our watching time. Um, each episode, just to clarify is an hour. So there's 10 episodes. It's 10 hours. Great documentary. It's on ESPN plus. Again, I highly check it out. Um, that being said, this is your final attempt to stop watching uh, before there's any spoilers. <laughs> Go. Um, so, Nick, do you think, you know, what, do you think Dennis Rodman, when uh, Scottie Pippen returned in 1998, um, do, do you think that his issues of not being, like, the go-to guy for Michael um, what, was that an overstep? Do you think he was justified in his thinking? Um, you know, no, how do you I, think that should have played out? Yeah, I, I like the way Dennis Rodman reacted. I, I think I would react in the same manner because, you know, for the, the majority or, you know, for the beginning of the season, it's just you and MJ. And, and you have that chemistry working together. You know that there's a history between Scotty and MJ. But that's that's not in the current. That's not what we're dealing with right now. It's me and you. And we're, we're doing this together. We're putting on a show together. And then all of a sudden, your best friend comes back, and, and I'm the third wheel. And, uh, you know, I, I, I really understand where Dennis is coming from. So I, I don't think he was being overly dramatic when he got, he, he got annoyed and frustrated that he wasn't getting the attention from Michael, from the entire team, from the fans. You know, the he just he wasn't in the spotlight anymore. He was in the background, and so he, he had trouble finding himself as a role player. And I think that stems from his time with Detroit and San Antonio where, you know, he had more of a star role. He came into this league and was one of the best defenders right off the bat. And that's why he was brought to, to Chicago. You know, they, they put aside his 
you know, ridiculous attitude and everything that comes along with Dennis Rodman, uh, how outlandish he can be. They put that aside because they know what he brings to the court. And he, he, he was delivering and, and continued to deliver, even though he was uh, forced back into that role player uh, that, he, that he wasn't too fond of. But, you know, I, I can understand. It seemed like he, f- he found his groove, in, you know, towards the, the making that playoff run that uh, they were uh, in the stride of things. They were um, they had a good chemistry working all of them together. But uh, I think it was once Dennis, uh, once Scotty initially came back, that's, you know, I, I really understand why he had trouble um, falling initially, you know, right back into that role player. You can't just go from being at the top to being a background guy, you know, not getting any credit for doing your, your job at a high level. It's, that's just a hard blow to take for a guy like Dennis Rodman, who likes to be in the spotlight at all times. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I profoundly disagree. Um, they weren't winning basketball games. I mean, it, it really comes down to the simple fact that they struggled mightily without Scottie Pippen there. And, they, you know, as much as Dennis Rodman felt like he was the guy that MJ could lean on, the, the team needed more. And without Scottie Pippen, I mean, they all said it at the end, but without Scottie Pippen coming back um, from his demands to be traded and from his prolonged injury, I, I don't, they, they don't win that, that series against Utah. It's pretty simple. And I, I think Dennis Rodman, as great of a defensive stalwart as he is, he provided very little on the offensive side of the ball. And if there's nobody else who can kind of pick up some of the scoring when A, Michael's on the bench, or B, that he's being double teamed, you know, somebody like Scotty can can take one-on-ones and, and truly has to be guarded as, as somebody who's a... a very good threat to either drive in or take a shot. I mean, he could do both and, and, you know, it took a lot of pressure off of Michael. So, and they were able to win that way. It, it showed. So, you know, I, I well, think I, Rodman should have taken a little solace in the fact that, you know, he, they weren't winning basketball games with just the two of them and that, you know, the, the welcoming of Scotty Pippen should have been there more than his own personal feeling of, you know, I should have been the guy. Well, it's, it's not a secret that Michael Jordan had, had trouble getting rid of the ball. You know, he, he always wanted to be the guy with the ball in his hands in every moment to make the big play. Dennis Rodman, he knows he's a defensive player. He knows that's where his role is, but he's, there are a lot, there were a lot of people to help on offense. They had Tony Kukoc, they had Steve Kerr, you know, they, they had these guys who were able to, to help out, but, MJ is not giving them that many opportunities. And when Steve Kerr was given the opportunities, he thrived. He helped them win the championship. You know, without, I don't think without Steve Kerr, they might, they might not win it. You know, he had well, a few Right, shots but you can't tell that me that Steve Kerr had the same impact that Scottie Pippen had. It just, I don't, I won't believe that for a single second. Scottie's a facilitator. He's not really a scorer all that much. He's, he's more of, he's... He's second. Gonna, on, he was second on the Bulls in scoring. Yeah, I know. He he was. Uh, he had a lot of those accolades. Uh, you know, second in pretty much everything. But I just don't think what he did couldn't be replaced. 
I think there's, there was somebody, Tony or Steve or somebody on the bench who could have stepped up and filled Scotty's role. Not No one's going to be Scotty, but they could, you know, possibly do do an adequate job. You know, Michael doesn't need all that much help. I, I think, I don't think, you know, when we saw Scotty uh, play without MJ in the 93 season, then we, we, uh, we saw that he uh, was it was struggling to do it because he, he didn't like to score. All the, he wasn't used to scoring all. He of wasn't the time. used to being a number one option, but he never had to be. That wasn't his. That wasn't his role. His role was to be the number two scoring option, and he played that perfectly. And yeah, the, and I think there were other people. I believe Steve Kerr could have definitely done that job. I I, I disagree. He was an efficient offensive offensive player. He wasn't. He was uh, efficient at times, anything, but he was inconsistent. Scott, Scotty was a well-balanced player. He was good on offense. He was good on defense. He wasn't the best at anything. Uh, he was a re- I mean, he was a top ten player in the NBA. I mean, to have that as your number two option, you have to put things into perspective and say, all right. I mean, if he's going to help us win a championship, I I have to move over. And I think Rodman, being somebody who um, does what he wants all the time had trouble accepting the fact that he he was being told that he is no longer the the go-to guy. It was you know, as you saw throughout the entire docu series, um it was really just you know, Rodman did his own thing at his own time, didn't care what anybody else thought, including, you know, leaving after game 2 of the finals to go to the WWE and and spend a night with them. Um, you know, when you have thing when you have a player like that when you take something out of his control that's when i think you know things may get soured with that player and i think that's what we saw is that he did not react very well there um i i just i just agree i disagree that Dennis Rodman should have um you know he should have just stepped aside and said we're not winning basketball games Scotty Pippen will help us win basketball games. We've done it before. That we know what works. Let's get that. Let's get that back together. Um. So. The biggest question, obviously, the the focal point of this entire process or this entire documentary, was um, Jerry Krause and how he handled the Last Dance, and you know how he basically told. Uh, um, Phil Jackson. Jackson that, you know, even if he won 82 games, 82 and 0, and yep. he wasn't coming back. Do you think it would have played out differently if Krauss didn't make it publicly known that Phil Jackson was gone no matter what? You know, I don't think that it would have. I believe, you know, it, it was already known. Like, Phil Jackson knew coming to the season. I think the players knew. I, I don't think – because he had titled – Phil Jackson had titled the season before it started, The Last Dance. So I think everybody knew at that point this was it for at least him. You know, he well, wasn't th- coming back. Those comments were made prior to that season. So Phil Jackson made that the last dance because of Krause's comments. Yeah, I, I don't think it would have been any different. I, I Because Phil Jackson, he's a straight shooter. He's not going to lie to you. He's not going to play games with you. He, he's he's going to tell you the truth, and he like he's a very honest guy. I don't... So... I think that he still would have done the same exact things he did. He wouldn't have put his players in different positions. You know, he even 
uh, what, I believe it was the semi uh, Eastern Conference semifinals, um, or it might have been the Eastern Conference finals, where it was a three-two series. Um, or they were I I don't know if they were down. I can't remember, but uh, you know, Phil Jackson was like, "Hey, if we win, we win. If we lose, we lose." Like he wasn't putting pressure on his guys to do anything different. It just because it was the last season. I don't think if. Uh, if it wasn't known, I don't think he, he would have played it any, any other way. I don't think that the players didn't really seem to react to it too much during the time. Yeah, they, they did off the court, but when it was on the court, they didn't try to do anything extra special because this was the last opportunity they're going to have. No one, they just played their game. They did what they had to do. They did their job, and, and that's what that why they won. You know, th- there was nothing super special that anybody did, that any particular person did that made it any different from any other season. So I, I again, I, I just disagree. I think that what J- it may have affected them going into the off season because, you know, Phil Jackson left, Scotty was, you know, uh, traded. left traded. Um, Dennis Rodman was released. Uh, MJ retired again. Um, so you had all these uh, transactions happen, but, they're probably going to happen anyway, no matter if this was public knowledge or not. I just, I think that a lot of things would have been, the the fire would not have been there. Because, here's the thing. If Jerry Krause doesn't make those comments, Phil Jackson remains as coach. It's that simple. So, his job isn't on the line. The players aren't playing for him. Um, they're not, you know, trying to wrap, like, you, you know, one thing that, was pretty apparent throughout is that Michael Jordan created things out of thin air to motivate himself. That final season, he didn't have to create a single thing. He was fueled by his hatred for Jerry Krause and that whole situation. And I think that essentially was uh, the same feeling that every player had. I think they played their asses off for... Phil Jackson, and I, I believe that they all they all knew that this was the last time that this this Bulls team had the the chance at uh, dynasty. This was going to be their legacy. They knew that this was coming to an end, and they wanted to leave it the only way they knew how, and that was the end of a three peat. I think that's I think that's where we kind of see a difference here is that they knew that they were heading toward the end and they gave absolutely everything. I mean, look at Scottie Pippen, right? He was so hurt in the finals, but if he knew that there was another season to come around, he may not have come back during that finals and you know, with the back injury. He may have had to he may have just sat out and said, "You know what? If we lose, we'll get him next year." There was no next year at that point. So he gave everything he possibly could at that point in time. So I think maybe maybe things wouldn't have been different, but overall I think the mentality and the the way people were treated and the, the way they played, I think things that was fueled by Krause's comments going into that season. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely possible. Uh you know, Jerry Krause was, you know, made a lot of enemies. Um but I I don't think that his doing was the sole energizer for the the entire team. I know, you know, it played a part. You know, some people, you know, Scotty didn't want to play because of his contract situation. The injury happened. MJ used it in the beginning of the season to fuel him, but 
as as they really showed, MJ found a way of finding somebody on the opposing team to fuel his anger, to fuel his drive. It it really wasn't Krauss. He wasn't. They really weren't referring back to Krauss all that much when it, it, when they were in the playoffs. It was, you know, uh, someone on the Knicks, someone on the Pacers, someone on the SuperSonics. You know, it was, it was somebody on each each team that they uh, they were facing that he didn't like and he wanted to get retribution or you know he may have heard something or, or made something up that they may have said uh, just to, to get angry get get um, his head in the in the right uh, you know right space to to put on show the shows he did but I, I still think he, that would have happened no matter what that's just who MJ was. Scotty was miserable about his contract for years because it wasn't it was a couple of years after he signed that deal where everybody else was getting those his seven year contract annually mm-hmm. so i I don't think that it would have made too much of a difference it, I just think that there, a player a lot like, of a player like Scotty Pippen you know again, if Krauss doesn't make those comments, he may not return after the trade go doesn't go through like after he's not traded what like because he you know what's the point then he can he has nothing to lose but this was his final run he knew this was his final run with the bulls he knew this is fi- uh Phil Jackson's final run with the team i mean he chose to be a part of that after his trade demands weren't met i think that's a a big thing that you know, was fueled by Jerry Krause's comments that that this was Phil Jackson's last time, and this was you know Phil Jackson titling it the last dance. I think I think there was a lot of pressure put on these players um, at the in that final season to to ball out not only for themselves but to show up Jerry Krause to show that Phil Jackson was a great coach to show that this team shouldn't have been put into a position where. Um, you know, this was titled The Last Dance. I mean, you can look, even, uh, you know, Reinsdorf, the the owner, he wanted to bring everyone back for one more year. Um, and Phil Jackson stuck to his guns and said, no, I'm going to take some time and step away. And then you saw the, the flood of events that happened from there. Like you said, uh, MJ retired, Pippen traded, Rodman released, uh, Steve Kerr traded, um, everybody went their separate ways. Like the whole team disbanded at that point. And then, you know, not too long after, uh, that whole process was Jerry Krause was relieved of his duties. He lost his job in 2003. So we're talking about the end of the 97, 98 season. He only had five more years with the bulls. After that, it was all, it was, it was over. I mean, if you really look at what he did in the, beginning of his tenure as the the GM he did as good of a job as anybody else has ever done in the NBA yeah, no one no sure. one else can can say they they've ever done that and i don't think it'll ever happen again it's just you know we we've gotten too good in our our research to find anybody anywhere in the corner any corner of the world uh that you know is good at basketball so that'll never happen again well to be handed a player like tony kukoc and, yeah, because you know, he's he's from you know he came from Europe. People weren't paying attention to European leagues that much, and he he was kind of on the come up before everybody else. And then he 
he pounced on it and you know they faced him in the olympics and uh they kind of you know made him look like a fool but that's also the dream team he was going up against the best of the best before he even had a chance to get a taste of what the nba was like he had defense isn't a thing in europe and he wasn't <laughs> used to it and he got he, it was a rude awakening for him and scott scotty and mj uh, were right there to introduce him to it yeah you know, they were the welcoming firsthand. committee that's for damn sure <laughs> yeah um my biggest, you know, with Jerry Krause, his his he was so brilliant with ha- with his roster moves until he let his personal feelings and bias get in the way. I think that's really what what killed him, um, because when I mean he let let's face it, they made fun of him a lot. They showed it a lot on screen. Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, they made fun of him a lot about his height. They called him a, a troll. I mean, they called him a lot of things. And I think he was tired of the fact that he didn't get enough credit. He didn't get enough uh, respect from the players. Um, and, par- you know, partially to his own fault. I mean, he he didn't, he didn't re- require respect because of how he treated people. And I think at the, you know, he, he at the end of the day, his his biggest fault was his personality, which he then let get in the way of his job. And that is what caused the the end of all of this. But personally, and you know, I, I just think that had they been together for another, say three years, right? I say they win at least two more championships. Yeah. I don't know. Cause you had Shaq and Kobe, you know, coming. That wasn't until 2001 though. Yeah, but I don't know. Or are you saying it feels there? Yeah, if the whole if the whole thing is still there, right? Because Phil Jackson then goes to Los Angeles, they win five championships, but other than I mean like if he's still with the Bulls, Michael Jordan, Dennis Rodman, Scottie Pippen, Steve Kerr, if they're it's all pop. still there, it's possible. Michael was getting older. His body was having trouble keeping up, playing 45 minutes every game for the entire season plus an entire playoff run. And he was getting beat up all the time. You know, this is the old NBA where you go and punch somebody in the face and you're not going to get ejected. You know, so you, you get away with a lot, and, and that takes a real beating on your body when you're facing Patrick Ewing and all these big-name players, Gary Payton, you know, that they, they, they these are the best of the best going up against each other. And you know, you're always going to double team Michael Jordan, you know, no matter who it is, you know, who, who you have on your team, because that's just how good he is. You need to stop him. If you can stop him, then you, you take the, the heartbeat away from, from the bulls, you know, and, and you throw them off their pace. So I don't know if they, I think someone would have come around soon. I mean, there were teams who had in the pre in the past, were able to get to MJ and beat him down and throw him off his game, throw everybody else off their game when they're thrown into new roles. So I don't, I don't think that I think I think winning two more in three years is asking a lot. Maybe one, but I'd I'd be um, I really don't think they could win more than one. I don't think that that's feasible. I know I know they won. You know they had two three peats, but the the game the game was also evolving. New new people were coming in to the league. 
I, I just don't think that everything was going to hold true for another few years. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pure speculation, but my belief would be that they had the talent to at least compete for a championship. If they were together for three more years, they would have been in the playoffs all three of those years. And you know, and you know as much as anyone else, anything can happen in the playoffs. They could either, you know, get swept. They could, you know, dominate. You know, you never know what could happen. You know, so I, I think you know speculation is tough, but overall, I think it's it was uh, a truly, um, you know, it was sad to see it end. And Michael Jordan put it the best way. He was like, "Listen, if you offered a one-year contract to everyone." to come back, I guarantee you everybody would have come back. He said it might have taken Scotty a, 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 you know, some convincing, but overall if he knew that he was going to get everybody that he wanted their back, including Kerr, MJ, Rodman, J- Phil Jackson, he would have he done the same exact thing. And I would have loved to see for them to go for a fourth straight, um, even if that was the final season, it, even if they didn't culminate in a championship, I think they had one more really good opportunity in them. Um, but you, you want, you said something that was very interesting. Uh, you said the game was a lot more physical in the nineties, which is fair. eighties uh, and nineties. It was very fair. <laughs> um, do you think players, um, from back then would be able to, succeed in today's game where if you sneeze on LeBron James you get caught you know a a technical and a personal (laughs) uh I I don't think that most of them could because the way they were able to beat some players down gave others the opportunity to make easy plays and when when you're not able to throw an elbow into somebody or land on them coming down or throw them while they're in midair and, and get away with it, you know, the, then you're, you're facing a guy who's pretty much, besides being fati- uh, fatigued, you know, their body is ready to go. They're, they're not physically worn down as much um, in this day and age. It, it's all this day and age it's all about pulling up and shooting there isn't much physicality there isn't much happening in the paint if it is it's it's a guy like Giannis you know going up and just you know dunking it from the the, the foul line you know there there isn't much physicality there, there's not even a lot of play down low so it would have been hard for the bigger guys to to compete in today's NBA it, it would have been I think it would have been more guys like Isaiah Thomas um, or Gary Payton, who are able to facilitate and help out on defense, or Steve Kerr, who was able to pull up at the three-point line, John Paxson, who's able to pull up from outside. Guys like that who don't drive as much. MJ obviously would have succeeded because he can score from anywhere, and he can defend a lot of people. So he, uh, he he's like the one special case where it really doesn't change in his instance. But... Uh, I'd say for a lot of the bigger guys who thrived on just pounding it home in the paint, working themselves down low, then I, I don't think they would have had as much success as they did. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the top players in today's game, they are actually the most physical players out there. I mean, Giannis and LeBron James are two of the top names in today's NBA, and 
they're one of the more physical players that we have in the NBA. So I, I'm i not going to say somebody like Scottie Pippen couldn't thrive in today's NBA. I think he would have to adjust his mentality a little bit. Um, but somebody like Charles Oakley or Patrick Ewing, uh, Dennis Rodman, uh, Bill Lambeer, those guys, no shot. I, I mean, look at... Look what happens. The closest thing that I would say that we have to somebody like that right now would be um, uh, Draymond Green. I, I think he would be the closest thing that we have to somebody from that time era. And we call him one of the dirtiest players in the game because of how physical he plays. I mean, that that's really what it comes down to is that physicality has now been conflated with dirty play. And I, I think the entire shift of the NBA has has seen a lot of that mentality. Like, you know, you, t- you brought up the fact that a lot of players from Europe don't play defense, and I think we've gotten an influx of European players, Asian players, um, same thing. You know, a lot of scoring, a lot of fast-moving pieces on the offensive side of the ball. The ball moves constantly. Um, the, the up and down the court it wasn't half court offenses like th- those are gone now it's you you drive down the court on a fast break you put up a shot if it doesn't go in everybody's on the back you don't see many people uh, rebounding you don't see many people uh, many teams running half court offenses anymore um you know look you know, take a team like the Houston Rockets or the Boston Celtics those teams run more than any team that I, I've ever seen like they they're constantly they get the they get the rebound on the defensive side of the ball. They're up the court. The shots up quick, and if it doesn't go in, they're on the the defensive side of the ball again. I mean, it, it's pretty. That that seems to be the way the league is going. It's not, you know, uh, prolonged offensive series anymore. Yeah, it seems like you have to be a better sprinter these days than uh, anything else. You yeah, know, it's all about being able to to run constantly for 48 minutes and uh, uh, whoever, you know, you add a shot to that and that makes an NBA player these days. So, you know, I, uh, now the, if we were to take the reverse, how do you think if we were to take current NBA players and throw them back in the eighties and nineties, do you think that they would also face, issues do you think a lot of the big names like Giannis LeBron James Harden uh even if we were to add in like uh, Yao Ming or Tracy McGrady uh do you think they would struggle so players like Tracy McGrady and I think they still got some of that I mean you look at a player like Kevin Garnett right he was kind of the bridge from one side of the era to the other. Same with Kobe Bryant, Tracy McGrady, Vince Carter. Those are those players. Uh, when you're talking about somebody like LeBron James, as as physical as he is now, I can't imagine him getting beaten down the way Michael Jordan did by the Bulls. Uh, sorry, by the uh, Pistons or by the Pacers or by the Knicks. I mean, he... Every team that he faced wanted to knock the ever living shit out of him every time down the floor. It was that simple. With the you know with the Pistons, they had three or four guys who just surrounded him, and you you heard Isaiah Thomas and some of those guys talk about how they wanted to hurt him. They physically wanted to hurt him and get him out of the game. I 
I can't imagine a player like Steph Curry or James Harden, even Russell Westbrook, taking that amount of uh, punishment. I, I just can't see them thriving in something like that. LeBron James, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, those those players, they are physically gifted. They are built like brick shit houses. So I think they could take the beating. I don't know if mentally they would want to. If they were brought up in that era, that's a different story. Maybe maybe they you know if if that if that's the case. But um, it's tough to tell. I, I I don't see a lot of current NBA players being able to thrive in in the previous uh, eras. And and here's my biggest issue. Right, we we always are debating who's better, Michael or LeBron, uh, Kobe or Michael, Kobe or LeBron. I mean. You can't compare these eras with the way the the rules are set up and the way these games are played anymore because you can't tell me that you know you're going to compare Michael Jordan to Bill Russell to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to Larry Bird and Magic Johnson like they all play different styles of basketball I don't think they can be compared the numbers just don't match the numbers are not they didn't come around the same way as the numbers do now in in other uh, you know uh, eras. So I, I think that we need to stop with the the comparisons and saying you know this person's better because of these numbers or you know this person played a more physical style. If you're successful in your era, you're doing what you need to do to to win, and I think that that's the biggest key that we need to take away. Yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, the big, some of the big names, LeBron, Giannis, the bigger, uh, more built guys who are more physical down in the paint, could could do well back then. But then I, I look at you know possibly the like a guy Draymond Green, even Marcus Smart. These guys who just put their bodies on the line every play, every time. You know whether it's offense or defense, they're on the ground going for balls. They're jumping up. They're getting kicked. They're getting punched. They're getting elbows. You know that they're doing whatever they have to to get their team the ball and score, and you know they 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 know their role. They don't they're fine being a role player, so they'll fit on most teams. Uh, so I, I don't I think they there are less people in today's NBA that would thrive in the old style of the NBA than pl- other older players playing in in today's game. So I I think. That I think that's why you have to give a little bit more credit to MJ when, when the debate is being talked about. And like you said, we can't really give a fair comparison. But I think we need to take, if we are going to compare it, you need to take into account how different the game is versus the other. Because the, the way the NBA has transitioned, it's very soft compared to, to how it was. And, and that has a real impact on the numbers. Yeah, I I don't think you would see LeBron driving into the paint in year 17 the same way he did in years 1 and 2 if he was getting just absolutely destroyed by a player like Bill Lambeer every, you know, for 5 games out of each season plus playoff uh series. I I think if you're getting destroyed by every team that wants to see you hurt, that's going to stop a lot of players from being successful and a lot of players from driving into the paint and, and trying to to score at will. I mean, you have to 
you have to be some sort of just absolutely insane to to welcome that sort of punishment. And obviously, Michael Jordan, as great as he is, was a little bit insane. I mean, I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to be, uh, you know, a liar delusional about, about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I I don't know. I think that overall, a lot of players now couldn't work back then. And I still think a lot of players back then couldn't. They couldn't deal with the the lack of touching and a lack of physicality that we have now. So I think it works both ways. It's not just a one-way street here. Um, you know, the players that we have now, just to say that they're not, they couldn't compete back then isn't to take anything away from them. I still think James Harden is a, one of the best shooters that I've ever seen, and Russell Westbrook is one of the best scorers that I've ever seen. Just because I don't think that they can thrive in 1994 doesn't mean I'm taking anything away from them. So I, I just want to put that out there. Um, but, uh, you know, just to bring it back to the last dance, the, during the 93-94 season, Scottie Pittman notoriously quit on his team and set out the end of the game where Tony Kukoc made that infamous last-second shot to win the game. Um do you think that game or the season would have turned out completely different if Pippen hadn't set that out? Yeah, absolutely. I don't I don't think that they they I believe they made it to the semifinals in that season and they lost to the Knicks. I don't think that they go that far without that controversy because they weren't playing that great. And Scotty was kind of folding under the pressure of being the guy all the time. And he, he was finally in the shoes of what MJ was dealing with for many years. And it, he, he was breaking pretty quickly. And towards the end of the season, you know, he was hurt. He was banged up. He just didn't have the mental capacity like, like Michael does, like, like he did when he was playing. Right. Where he could just throw all that aside and just find something deep down inside that pushes him that extra mile to finish out the game to put his team up top, and he, it you know in that situation, you know he he was being greedy, and that's something we don't really see from Michael Jordan. That that's more of a modern day issue where players are being greedy. Um, so I I think that, uh, but I think the what helps a lot was what happened afterward when the team sat there in the locker room and they started working out their issues, talking it out, just getting all their grievances out in the open, making, you know, so everybody was aware of everything going on and they, they had a true understanding because once you understand, understand where everyone's coming from, then you could learn how you can try to fix it. And you, you know, uh, you get an idea of where to start. And so I think that definitely helped them, rebuild their chemistry because i think they they were missing a piece after michael left they didn't really and they didn't really um uh you know they didn't pay much attention to it mm -hmm. but n now it was kind of on full display there you know i don't want to be the guy and scott that's you know scotty was didn't want to be the guy and and i think he needed the the support from his teammates to help him get there and i think it took everybody else to realize that scotty can't do this alone you know, just because he's been great behind NJ doesn't mean he's going to fulfill his shoes as soon as he leaves. You know, he's right. still going to be Scotty. And so I, I think that 
uh, that really helped them the their the morale of the team uh, strengthen it and, and really come together for the remainder of the season. The biggest difference I saw with Scotty and Michael, besides obviously the the gameplay, uh, their leadership styles. Scotty was the the nice guy, the I'm gonna pick you up all the time, and Michael Jordan. I mean, he he verbally bludgeoned the entire team on a daily basis. Um, it, it's kind of created a lot of controversy on social media as this was unfolding. Um, people calling Michael Jordan a terrible teammate and that sort of thing. Uh, I want to just get your quick thoughts. What do you think? Do you think that made Michael a bad teammate? Um, do you think that he should have been a little easier on those guys? Um, no, because, and I think they addressed this a little bit in the documentary where Michael isn't Michael without the the verbal abuse because he's so competitive. He, I be, I don't I think it was Scotty who said he wants you to be on his level. He wants you to be as good as he is, even though you can't. You physically can't. Right. Like you 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 get to a point where you peak. Actually, I believe it was Horace Grant who said that. And you you know he's he's never gonna believe that you are peaked you're you're capped by your your physical abilities he always because he's he i think he personally believes if i can do it you can do it and there's nothing that's going to change his mind about that and he thinks if he keeps pushing you pushing you pushing you because i believe that's how his father used to push him yeah and so he he adapted he adapted that mentality and he he used that to push his team and that had worked in the past where it got them if they weren't getting if he didn't see the results he wanted they weren't getting enough wins or lost a game they shouldn't have, then he's going to go extra hard on you because it's worked in the past and, and it, it's worked with him. So if it's it's something that uh, works to get the team together to, to make everybody better, then I don't think that's a knock against Michael. I don't think that makes him look like a bad person. I think that just makes you understand what it takes to be a champion. Because every, everybody who's been great has had to come back from low points and, and be better than ever. And you have to find yourself. You have to, it, you have a certain drive, a certain fire that's unique to everybody else's as a normal, you know, to normal people. You're not a normal person. You're a superstar mm-hmm. and only certain people have that. And you, you can't fault somebody, a, a superstar for, for being who they're supposed to be. Yeah, I you know, I think it worked in a lot of sense. You know, you talk they they obviously spent a lot of time interviewing Horace Grant and Steve Kerr and a lot of the role players that were on the Bulls. Um yeah, they don't seem to have any animosity towards Michael. Though especially with the way he treated them. I I think, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, look, they they said he was a he was a bad teammate. They, they didn't say that. What they said was that, you know, he was tough on them and they didn't necessarily agree with how he went about it, but they were winning championships and that's what it led to. And they were okay with, you know what, if this is, if this is what it takes, if, if this is how he drives us, then that's what we're going to have to do to win championships. And they were fine with that. I think that that's what it comes down to is that, uh, we're we're part of a generation of people that don't like to be pushed and, you know, a verbal, like something like that verbal uh, confrontation that Michael gave every single day, 
they take that as abuse where that that's leadership. I mean, it's that simple. If you've been in an, in a locker room or if you've been around a team, you know that it's not all sunshine and butterflies when when you're trying to motivate people around you. There are some tough things said in there and you're you know, the whole idea is that you are a brotherhood or sisterhood and you guys are supposed to be able to, you know, to say what's on your mind and and motivate each other and not take it personally as an attack on you, but more or less as something that's supposed to help drive you. And I I think that's what's being missed in a lot of what he was doing and a lot what he was saying is that people are taking his words out of context. They're putting them into text on social media and they're saying, Michael said this, how do you defend him for saying this? It's because it was in the moment. He was he was trying to motivate that person by saying something, you know. Obviously, not everything was meant as motivation. Again, all the times he went at Jerry Krause, like, yeah, he was I mean, he, he was just a bully to Jerry Krause. They all were. Um, but at the end of the day, like, for his teammates, that he was a great teammate, and I don't think they would have changed a single moment especially when he got into a fist fight with Steve Kerr. I think that was like one of the best stories I heard on the entire docu-series. Yeah, and uh, you know, Steve Kerr acknowledges that it helped toughen him up a little bit because we also have to take in perspective what th- this is a different time. You could say things that you can't say today and th- just because stuff was said back then, you don't need to apologize for it now. You know, that, that's a huge misconception. People look for you to apologize if you said something previously, but you don't need to. And I, I, I stand by Michael and, and his actions. You know, if you grow, a lot, a lot of these guys have been in locker rooms where that's what the mentality was. When you're around a bunch of guys like this all the time, you're going to be on each other to, to make each other better. To You know, you're, you're going to work off of each other, feed off of each other. And you, he needed to toughen them up mentally by, you know, yelling at them and all this because you're going to go out and face a team that's going to beat you down physically. And if you are in the right mental state, you can handle the physical attack. And I, I think that really helped them get through the harder teams late down the stretch in the season. Sure. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. Um, before we close this out, uh, I just want to get your final thought Um Overall, this was a, an incredible job. Uh, two things. What was the most surprising or, like, biggest moment for you in the whole series? Um, I think I know where you're going to go with this, so I'm going <laughs> to choose something different. But uh, I think it was there was more animosity between Horace Grant and MJ than I, that I, uh, than I thought. Yeah. And I think now it's coming to the limelight even more. I think it, it's spurred again because MJ said uh, Horace was the one who gave all their, their secrets away to Sam Smith, who wrote the, the Jordan Rules book. Uh, and that created a lot of controversy back then. And now that it's come to light that MJ thinks it was him, now Horace finds the, um, you know, he wants to defend himself, you know, it, it no one really knows who did it, and so it's all always going to be speculation. But I I was surprised to to see that those two they had so much success together, and they didn't really show too much as far as them butting heads in the documentary. But the way they talked about each other, it just seemed like. And, and then when he Horace was with the Magic, and they faced each other, 
NJ just wanted to go for like go at him, mm-hmm. and and he really had a dislike for him, and it, I, I was really surprised to hear that. Yeah, um, mine, and we talked about this before, but it was hearing about Steve Kerr's father, um, Steve Kerr, and everything that the the Kerr family went through. Uh, his parents being such academics was already something that blew me away. I didn't realize how how smart the Kerr family was, um, you know, especially in a time where academia wasn't as prevalent as it is today. You're talking about uh, a professor of, uh, was it Middle Eastern politics? And, um, you know, he just, and then he went to, uh, was it Beirut? And he mm-hmm. became the president of a university over the American university over there. Um, the day after he got there or the day before he got there, the president of the university was kidnapped by some local militia. And then uh, I don't know if it was the same year or within a year, whatever the case was, but uh, he was shot in the head by that same militia because they didn't like Americans uh, in Beirut. And I was just, I was like, what? Like, that is devastating. And this happened while Steve Kerr was in college. This didn't happen while he was on in Chicago. But nonetheless, I mean, to share that that type of um, tragedy um, experience, it, to share that with some with Michael Jordan, the way his father was was. Uh, brutally murdered um you know he was shot and killed for his car basically i mean that's that's really what it was he was off he was sleeping on the side of the road uh because he was too tired to drive um two 18 year olds came up shot him in the head and dumped his body in a river i mean to not only to have that uh, that happen but to have two players whose fathers were shot in the head um is just incredible to me. Like, it's so... That was one of the toughest parts of the entire doc for me, and most surprising, for sure. Um, I was not... I wasn't any what prepared for that. I knew there was some tragedy with with James Jordan, um, but I didn't know really much about it. Um, And obviously, instead of looking into it, I found it all out during the doc. But, yeah, I just... That was a that was a tough time for me. Um, no, that I think that was a tough time for a lot of people. That that was a, a real shock, and when that all happened, I mean, obviously you you had an inclination where that was heading, and uh, sad to see how it played out. Um, I think I was uh, kind of annoyed. I wish they had talked about it. I know they brought it up to Steve and asked him, "Have you have you guys talked about your dads?" And he said, "No, that's just something we we don't talk about." And um, I, I kind of wish they did. I feel like if they had had that together, built on their r- relationship on that early on, and I know it was tough for both of them, so I understand why they didn't bring it up, but I, I feel like that would have made them such a stronger unit, and they wouldn't have faced some of the troubles they did with, uh, you know, in the, you know, Eastern Conference semifinals and finals, and they would they would have had more of a chemistry together. It would have been more of a unit because he MJ already had chemistry with Scotty and Dennis, right? And he was still bit working on it with, with Steve Kerr. I think if they had talked about that, then 
they would have been a full unit and they, they could have gone really far. Uh, I mean, they did go really far, but I think they would have had an easier time. For sure. Um, last question. And uh, this is where we will end this week's episode of Trash Talk. But um, the, the Last Dance was an incredible, incredible series. I loved it. Ten episodes I thought was going to be a lot. I, I binge watched the shit out of them. Um, mm-hmm. It was incredible. Yeah. If you could have another documentary just like this for any team, any sport, where would you, what team would you, in past or present, uh, where would you want this to, what would you want to see? That's a tough question. Um, you could go in a lot of different directions and I don't know. This might come as a surprise, but I might want to go with the, I believe it was the 1617 Houston Astros just to get a glimpse behind the scenes of everything that went down with the cheating, just to, just to get to know how that, who started that, who was involved. I I wish there was a, a documentary crew following them that entire season and we could learn in 20 years, <laughs> you know, right. what transpired um, because that that would be wild. I I I'd love to to hear about the the controversy and all these uh, um, accusations. But you know, we we want to blame certain players without having all the the facts. I think if we could have all the facts in that situation, we could put some of these things to rest. Um, For sure. Uh, I think that would be a really cool one. Um, but if I, I know I've said this before. The last dance really just followed it. It followed the Bulls, but it really followed Michael. And I guess if we're going to follow another player and team um, with a big focus on one player, uh, it's going to be probably Kobe and Shaq. I don't know what year. Um, it's one of the, you know, Kobe and, and the Lakers um, with, you know, Shaq is in the Pippen role. Um, you know, get because they had a lot of turmoil together. Um so that that would be a good one, uh, but th- there's a lot of different directions. I think either of those, I would love to see for sure. I would probably go with, and this isn't just a a Homer thing, but I would love to see the inner workings and the the whole enchilada being made of the the New England Patriots and Tom Brady and the whole breakup scenario that's happened this off season. I w- in 20 years. That's what I would love to see is that <laughs> is that literally how all of this came to fruition. I know we understand that, you know, he, the Brady six, we've seen that part. We, we understand that he had to, you know, he was the fill in for Drew Bledsoe after he was taken out by Mo Lewis in the Jets game. I understand all that, but everything that went into the 07 season, everything, you know, Spygate, everything that went into Deflategate, everything that went into, um, you know, the the Seahawks Super Bowl, the Falcons Super Bowl, losing to the Giants twice, overcoming all of that. I would, like, that is something that I would want to really dive into and, and really take a look at. And I mean, this, you know, those Patriots teams were not met without controversy. Uh, even... As recently as today, I believe, uh, Lawyer Malloy is still shouting from rooftops about how angry and uh, disgruntled he is with Bill Belichick about uh, trading him and, you know, removing him from the Patriots. I was just like, you know, that would, I think overall that would, that would be incredible. But 
I also think the Kobe Shack. I mean, that I feel like that is the the natural progression of where we go from here. Is we we need to see more about that, and obviously, uh, you know, we we won't be able to follow Kobe. Um, you know, we won't be able to get that interview. So that would that would truly be unfortunate. But uh, they're you know overall, I think those are the ones that I would I would love to see. Um, you know, I, I might even go as far as the, uh, the Yankees, the early, the 2000s Yankees. I'd like to see that as well. Yeah, the acquisition just, of uh, A-Rod and, um, mm-hmm. you know, some of the, some of these things that we've taken for granted in recent years, um, I'd really love to, to get a behind the scenes look at some of those teams and those, uh, you know, how, how they all came to fruition, things like that. Absolutely, yeah. There, there's so many great <laughs> stories that come out of the uh, out, out of every sport, and you know we'd love to take a deep dive into all of them. Um, but like, you, I think that's a really good place to end this. Um, and I really want to hear what you guys think. You know, what would you like to see after? You know, what what do you want to see as the next Last Dance? What's the next big documentary series that you want to see in the sports world? Um, you know, we, we gave you our opinion, so let us know. Uh, give us uh, your thoughts and opinions. Uh, leave a comment. Leave, you know, talk to us on Twitter. We're always there. Uh, just keep com- coming and talking to us. Uh, we love it. Yeah, uh, I'll turn my notifications back on after this past weekend. <laughs> it got, got a little crazy for a little <laughs> bit. Um, but we, we love it. We, we truly love it, and we want it to keep on coming. So don't stop. Let us know your thoughts and everything. And thanks for tuning in for this episode of Trash Talk. Catch you next week.